to be this. A thousand might fall at my side. 10,000 may fall at my right hand, but it will not come near me. In fact, I'm going to ask you to lift up one hand. I want you to make this declaration. Say, in the name of Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. In the name of Jesus, I declare the Lord is with me. The Lord is on my side. So no matter what happens around me, I will not allow fear to dwell within me. The Bible says in the last days, we will experience perilous times, things that are hard to deal with. But just because it gets bad doesn't mean it has to touch me. I have Holy Spirit dwelling with me and living in me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's directing me. And I listen to his voice. Because I listen to his voice, I will always end up in the right place at the right time instead of the wrong place at the wrong time. But even if I ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time, his mercy and grace endures forever. So I will not, I cannot live my life in fear. I live in boldness and wisdom and obedience to the Holy Spirit. So I say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I say, the weapon may be formed, but it will not work. I say, everywhere that I go, angels go before me, and they follow me, and they surround me. So I say, as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we will be protected by the Lord. So I live with no fear. I live with no fear. Come on, I live with no fear. I trust God. I believe God. I obey God. So I declare a thousand may fall at my side. 10,000 might fall at my right hand. It will not. It shall not. It cannot come near me. So my family is protected. My children are protected. My grandchildren protected. Everybody pertaining to me is under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I celebrate this reality in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Come on, give him a shout. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Praise God. All right, we are continuing in week number three of this series we've been in. And if you're brand new here and uh, this is your first week out, we're glad to have you with us. Welcome once again. And if you missed the first two weeks, I encourage you to go to our website and, and you can look under recent messages right there, our current message series, and be able to go back and watch the first two weeks of this. But we're, we're teaching a message entitled, Close to Him Equals Close to Them. Close to Him equals close to them. And the spiritual truth that we've been unpacking, this is what I want you to keep your mind and your heart wrapped around, is this reality right here. The health of our vertical relationship with God is reflected in our horizontal relationships with people. The health of our vertical relationship with God 
is reflected in the health of our horizontal relationships with people. In other words, if you want to know how close I really am to God, don't base it on how loud I sing at church. If you really want to know how close and committed I am to God, don't base it on how demonstrative I am during my worship time, and don't base it on how many scriptures I can quote, and don't base it on me being able to prophesy a word over your life, and don't base it on me being able to speak in tongues and interpret in tongues. If you want to know how close I really am to God, look at how many close relationships I have in my life. Because if you look up and I'm always in a fight with somebody and I'm, and I'm always cutting somebody off and I'm always done dealing with them and I don't fool with them anymore and, 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 and my name is always showing up in mess when it comes to people, then no matter how I try to convince you that I'm close to God, there's no way for me to be that close with God and have that much mess going on in my life with people. Can I get an amen, somebody? Because if I'm close to him, I'm going to end up being close to the right them that he tells me to be close to. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 is what we're basing this on. It says, but if we are living in the light like God is in the light, then we have fellowship. Everybody shout fellowship. fellowship. We have fellowship with each other. Notice it says if we're living in the light, we have fellowship with each other. It doesn't even say we have fellowship with God. But if I'm living in the light, I'm walking in the light, I'm abiding close to him. He says, I'm going to have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, is, is cleansing me from all of my sins. Real fellowship with God inevitably is going to affect the way we function in our relationships with other people. Last week, if you didn't get last week's message, go back and listen to it because I talked about how we should interact with leadership. Talked about how leaders, how we ought to make sure that leaders are treating us the right way. Don't submit yourself to a leader who's not going to treat you well. Come on, say amen, somebody. But when we're connected to good leadership, there's a responsibility on the other side to make sure we're submitted to that leadership. We're supporting that leadership. Well, I want to spend these last couple weeks talking about something I want to call Friendship 101. This week and next, I want to give you the first part of it this week, and we'll wrap it up next week. Friendship 101. And listen to this. I wrote this down. It says, most of our issues relative to relationships go off the rails at the family and friends level. While we might have some relational issues at work, how many know those people don't go home with us? And most times, we can compartmentalize problematic work relationships without them being all-consuming. But family and friends have the potential to either bless our lives or wreck our lives if we don't manage those relationships well. To that end, let's acknowledge that most of us have never been taught how to be a friend or how to have a friend. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, well, when we were in school, we learned math. We learned English and science and social studies, but we never learned friendship the right way. And consequently, most of us don't truly know what healthy friendships look like. But just like everything else in life, the Bible can teach us how to be friends if we're willing to abandon our way and embrace his way. I mean, in everything in life, God has a way and the world has a way. God has a way to, to have a marriage, and the world has a way. God has a way to handle our finances, and, then, and the world has a different way. God has a way to be friends with people, and the world has a very different way. And I understand that I'm talking about this in the context of friendships, but I want you to get this as well. This spiritual truth of how to be friends is really the foundation for, for every, every other relationship in life. The, the foundation of how to be friends is also the foundation for how to have a successful marriage. 
So the things I'm talking about right now, I'm going to share with you this week and next week. These are the things that are necessary if you want to be good friends with somebody. But if you want to have a good marriage and you don't have these elements, it probably is part of the problem. This is the foundation for a healthy and successful marriage. It's the foundation for good family ties with your siblings and with your cousins and aunts and uncles. It's the foundation for being best friends with somebody. This is the foundation for being a good teammate. It's the foundation for being a good coworker or any other relationship where there is a need or a desire to go beyond just a surface level engagement. If there's any relationship in your life where you want to go beyond just a surface level, hi and bye, how you doing? I'm fine. Everything's going well. If you want to go past a surface level relationship, the keys I'm going to give you these next couple of weeks will help you understand if this is somebody you can actually be friends with or not. Can I, can I just be honest with you? You cannot be good friends with everybody. You just can't be good friends with everybody. First Samuel chapter 18 verse 1 says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And Jonathan loved David like his own self. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. So Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David. He also gave him his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. David and Jonathan became covenant brothers. Jonathan was the son of the king. David came to the king's to the to, to the palace to serve the king, and they made a covenant together, became good friends to the point to where Jonathan, the king's son, took off his robe and gave it to him, took off some of his garments and gave it to him. Jonathan was, and I want you to understand this because when you really have a, a God-ordained friendship, you're not jealous of your friend getting things that you don't have. Jonathan was next in line to be the king, and he was literally willing to step aside because he recognized the call on David's life that even though he was legally supposed to be next, David was the one that God had authorized to be next. Some of the things that we need to understand about this, mastering the art of friendship is one of the most important skills that we can ever learn in life. I preached a message back in December entitled Empty Vessels. And it was really a message to get us ready for the word that God had for us for this new year. And, and there's a quote that, that came from that message. It says, God needs us to empty ourselves of anything or anyone that hinders his capacity to fill us up. God needs us to empty ourselves of anything or anyone that hinders his capacity to fill us up. I want to set the stage for these two weeks, today and, and next week. Because I, I, I want you to understand this teaching is going to challenge each of us to actually look at our circle and reevaluate who really is our friend and who we've just been calling our friend. It's going to challenge you a little bit. I, I promise you it's going to stir you a little bit. You're going to have some aha moments in here because there are probably some people in your life that you've known since the third grade. You've been calling them friend because you've known each other forever. But when I start describing what the Bible refers to as friendship, you're going to look at some of those friendships and say, you know what? That's probably not even a real friendship. I had to do this myself over the last few years. I had to go back and realize there's some people I have called friend for years. And the reality is I've been their friend, but they weren't my friend. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When, when, I, when I really started looking at my own teaching, I had to look at my own words and realize I've been a great friend to some people. and They have not been a good friend back to me. 
Because some people will suck the life out of you if you give them space to do so. But one of the things we're going to talk about with friendship is that friendship has got to go both ways. First lesson we learned about friendship and friendship 101 is this. Friendship must have commonality. Friendship must have commonality. You've got to have things in common with somebody you're calling your friend. The Bible says this in the book of Amos chapter 3, verse number 3. It says, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? I mean, if you're going to McDonald's, I'm going to Burger King. Can we hold, can we hold hands and go there? Because we're going two different places. Can two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? What causes us to become friends with people in the beginning is that we typically recognize some level of commonality. I don't know, no matter how far you go back. You go back to, to, to kindergarten and you remember your, your, your best friend in kindergarten, probably because you went outside to the playground and, and uh, they were on one side of the seesaw and you got on the other side of the seesaw. <laughs> the commonality of the seesaw. Or you could have gone to gym and, and everybody's in gym. Some people playing dodgeball, some girls over there with the hula hoop. And there was that one person over there shooting basketball. And that, that common thing of basketball connected the two of you and, and you, you struck a friendship out of that. Or, you know, you, you, you're, you're both trying out for the cheerleading team. There, there was some level of commonality is what typically kicks off whatever friendship there is. Remember when I uh, went to Bible school, uh, left Michigan State, and I went home to Detroit to go to Bible school. I, I was obeying God at the time, and I, I honestly didn't want to do it, but I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to obey God. Um, my, my biggest fear going to Bible school is I thought I was going to flunk out of Bible school because I didn't know three Bible stories from beginning to end. And so I go in here to take the interest exam, and, and I'm nervous sitting in this interest exam, number one, because I, I th- I'm not sure what kind of questions they're going to ask on this entrance test. And I look around the room. The other reason I'm nervous is because I'm 20 years old at the time, taking an entrance exam to go to Bible school. And I look around the room, and everybody else in there is old. They're like 30, <laughs> 35. There were some real old folks that like 42. <laughs> I mean, that's no longer old today. I look around the room, and everybody's way older than me as a 20-year-old kid. I'm the youngest in the whole room, and I look up, and I see this other guy, and I don't know how old he is, but we look like we got to be about the same age. It was my friend, Joel Gregory, and I look up, and he's, he's, he's across the room, come to find out he's three years older than me, but we didn't know each other, but we kind of looked at each other. was like, <laughs> and true story, we finished taking the exam, and they were sending all of us over to another room. He was leaving out ahead of me. I could tell he slowed down, and I sped up. And we just kind of walked by each other. And from that day, watch this, we became friends that day. And watch this, have been the the best of friends for 33 years now. 33 years. We're godparents to their kids. They're godparents to our kids. We vacation together. We've been the best friends for 30-plus years. But I'm saying this, it started with commonality. Friendships start with commonality. And watch this, maintaining friendship means remaining at approximately the same level spiritually, educationally, intellectually, financially, socially, and in other areas. Doesn't mean you got to be at the exact same level. Doesn't mean you have to make the exact same amount of money. Doesn't mean that you got to have a Ph.D. degree because the other one has a Ph.D., but you got to stay close enough for there to be enough in common. Because when there's not enough in common, then things start to go off the rails. People, many people still try to hang on to friendships when one or the other has stopped growing any higher. It happens in marriages all the time. We have two people have this beautiful wedding, and they stand in vows to death do us part, and 
Everybody's expecting them to be happily ever after. And they start off heading here. And then like two ships in the night, they start going in different directions. He's working daytime. She's working nighttime. They don't ever really talk. And he, get, he gets hobbies with a whole set of friends. And she has her own different hobbies with a whole set of friends. And they still actually love each other. But they get to the place where you don't know each other anymore. And if you don't watch, if you don't do something to bring those ships back into the same harbor, then you'll head off in two different directions and you'll become two totally different people. And you'll look up one day and wonder, how is it that we have stopped being friends anymore? Because if we don't maintain commonality, even the best of friends can grow apart. In fact, I'd say it this way, where there is no mutual growth in a relationship, there would develop a natural divide. Where there is no mutual growth in a relationship, there develops a natural divide. You've seen it in, in, in many of the stories with, with NBA and NFL players where, you know, they get into the league and all of a sudden you're making all this money in the league and they got all this notoriety in the league, but they're still trying to hang on to the same set of friends they had from before. Many times you find them in the offseason where they're connecting with old friends and, and some of those friends, man, they, you know, so the reality is some of those friends aren't happy that you made it to the league and they didn't. Some of those friends, if we don't watch it, can pull them back into habits and back into neighborhoods and back into behaviors that end up jeopardizing what God has blessed them to have. Why? Because if you don't watch it, that natural divide happens and we're still trying to hang on to friendships. Well, that person's no longer growing. They're not getting better. If, they're, if you're not pulling them up, then they're going to pull you back. You look at, uh, on the other hand, uh, somebody like LeBron James who has, has eclipsed stardom at a level that few people will ever experience in life. And what I love about LeBron James is, is he has brought his friends along with him. You look up and one of his closest friends, I think from high school, Rich Paul, became his agent when everybody was telling him, there's no way in the world, the trajectory you're on, you need to get one of these high-powered agents. And he believed in his friend, brought his friend along as his agent, and they learned the business together. And now together they have both come up. His, his friend, Rich Paul, is one of the, the, the biggest, strongest agents and now has clients that are eclipsing all types of contracts. Why? Because LeBron James says, I'm not going to let y'all pull me back to the neighborhood. <laughs> if you want to ride with me, come on, ride together. Let's all of us come up together. Come on. If they're really a friend, then we need to all come up together and not let you pull me back to where I used to be. I need somebody to shout amen like you believe that today. Listen to this quote right here. Don't ever let someone who doesn't want to grow make you feel bad for wanting to be better, do better, and have better. Can I get an amen right there, somebody? Maybe you didn't hear what I said. I said, don't ever let somebody who doesn't want to grow make you feel bad because you want to be better, you want to do better, you want to have better. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know how it is sometimes in the neighborhood, they want to make you feel bad because you want to get an education? Or want to make you feel bad because you want to experience more culture than just garlic crabs every Friday? <laughs> Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with garlic crabs, but if I want to experience a little more than life than the same thing we've been doing for the last 50 years, don't get mad or make me feel like I've sold the neighborhood out because I actually want to experience life. I want to travel. I want to do some things. And I don't want to be held back by somebody who is content doing the same thing for the last 30 years. Second thing we need to understand about friendship is that friendships must make one another better. If it's really a God-ordained friendship, then it should make each other better. 
Proverbs 27 and 17 says, You use steel to sharpen steel, and one friend should sharpen another. Steel sharpens steel, and one friend ought to sharpen another. There's a quote by Flavia Weed that says, Some people come into our lives and they quickly go. Some people stay for a while, and they leave footprints on our hearts, and we are never, ever the same. Anybody can relate to that? <laughs> Some people come into your life and they're gone. Maybe you barely even remember that they were there. But there are other people that come into your life, and when you look at, their, at, at, at the, the result, you look at the wake that's left behind, they have completely changed the trajectory of your life. How I many you know that's, that can be true, good or bad? I had two cousins when I was growing up. You hear me talk about them all the time. I love them, man. My, my female cousin is in heaven now, gone home to be with the Lord. My male cousin's still alive, but they were four years older than me. My, my male cousin was four years older than me. My female cousin was five years older than me. How I many know when, you, when you're growing up, most times your cousins end up being your first best friends? These cousins was older than me. I looked up to them, man. Whatever, whatever they were doing, I wanted to do. And my mother used to drop me off over there at my aunt's house. Every time her and my, my dad was going out to, to dinner or they go out to the movies or something, she dropped me off there. She had no idea the kind of trouble I was getting in over there. Because literally everything I ever tried that was wrong started over there with them. <laughs> Whatever they were doing, they introduced it to me, and I tried it out. And, and, and I look up, and, and the trajectory of my life was headed in a real bad direction. And I, was literally, I literally made a bunch of bad decisions, made a bunch of bad mistakes. And it wasn't until I made it to high school. I came to Cass Technical High School in 11th grade, and I was new to the school and the, the school is the school in Detroit. You have to test to get into the school. And it's one of the top schools in the city. And, and, and because of the school, you, you had to have a curriculum to graduate, kind of, kind of like a major in college. Literally in high school, we had to pick our classes and, and have a, a major to graduate. Well, by the time I got there, the only curriculum I was able to finish in those two years was a music curriculum. And so I ended up in this music curriculum and ended up spending time in the music department. I had, became a part of the gospel choir and I remember coming down the hallway, and these three guys was in one of the little recital rooms rehearsing. And they pulled me in. It's like, hey, hey, come sing with us. And these three guys were the group that we now call All for Christ, the ones I brought here last year. God used that group of guys to change the trajectory of my life. I was, because they were all, like, real saved. <laughs> like, in my mind, it was like, it was like God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then Donald, one of the guys in the group. And so I was like blown away by how saved they were at like 16 and 17. And because we became friends, how I many know I was the, I became the leader of the group, but their influence in my life kept me from doing stuff that I used to do really because that's all I was doing in the neighborhood. And I remember one day they came along and it was like, uh, Michigan State's going to be on campus. They're doing on the spot admissions. You should go. I was like, all right, I'll go. I go to on the spot admissions. I get admitted into Michigan State right there on the spot end up going to Michigan State because they were all going to Michigan State. My second year at Michigan State, I see this little cutie in the cafeteria. <laughs> Thought she was a little Asian girl. When I saw her. <laughs> Fall in love with her. We start dating. We go home to Detroit that summer. She takes me to her church. And when I got to her church, the, in, my entire life changed. And now I'm standing here watching this preaching the gospel. 
And if you ask how did it happen, watch this. It started because my life was headed toward destruction. And God brought a group of young men into my life. And that encounter changed the direction of my life. And here I am, come on, walking out the purpose and the plan for my life. What am I saying? When people show up in your life, if they are from God, they ought to help you get closer to doing what God has called you to do, not pull you further away from you. You ought to shout amen about that. See, the purpose of covenant is to give advantage, never take advantage. When we come into covenant with people, the purpose of covenant is to always give advantage, never to take advantage. And if we're really going to be empty vessels, I want you to ask yourself this question right here. How has my life changed since I first called so-and-so my friend? I want you to run through your your mental Rolodex. How has my life changed since so-and-so became my friend? How has my life changed? What has gotten better or worse in my life since so-and-so became my friend? Because if they really are friends sent from God, we should be able to look back and say, everything in my life has gotten better. I mean, it's always been easy, but my life is better since they became my friend. Watch this. I should be closer to God now that they're my friend. I should be more on fire for God now that they're my friend. Give me an amen, somebody. I shouldn't have to dumb down how much I love God to try to fit in with them. Because if they're really from God, my life should be better as a result of them being a part of my life. Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm saying friendship should never be one-sided. I'm trying to educate us on what friendship should be from a biblical standpoint. Many things that we call friendship, listen to this, is really not a friendship, it's a usership. Many things we call friendship are really userships with unrealistic expectations, selfish demands, and inconsiderate requests on a regular basis. What are you talking about? I'm talking about things like, you know, you, you always ask me to watch your kids, but you never watch my kids. I don't know why it's getting quiet in this section right here. <laughs> I'm talking about you always, you always want to rob, but you never got any gas money. Oh, man, I ain't, I ain't even got it today, bro. <laughs> Come on, say amen. You don't make these people think I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about you. Or we go out to lunch and we go out to breakfast and you, you never even reach for the ticket. I don't mean you don't pay for it. You don't even reach for it. You don't even act like you might possibly pay for it. In fact, you have a tendency to go to the bathroom when you know they're about to bring that check around. <laughs> say, yeah, but that's because I know you got it, but even if I got it, don't mean I should be the one. That's not a friendship. That, that's a usership. That, that's a usership. In, in cases like that, it is absolutely your right to reevaluate or even end the pretense of friendship. If everything about it is one-sided, there's no mutual benefit, it's not a real friendship if we're not both benefiting from it. Third thing we got to understand about friendships is that friendships are forged in times of adversity. Friendships are forged in times of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. It's in times of great difficulty where we learn how to thank God for real friends. 
In fact, can I, can I just tell you this? If you can look back over your life and say you've had one, at least one real friend, you're, you're a blessed man or woman. In fact, you ought to take about 30 seconds with me and thank God. If you, if you can honestly say, I've, I have one legitimate friend. Come on. Somebody I can count on. Come on. Somebody I can depend on. Come on. Somebody that is with me in thick and thin. Somebody that won't take off and leave when, tough, when things get tough. You ought to thank God if you got one good friend, man, in your life. You're a rich man or woman to have a legitimate person you can call friend. And we've got a purpose in our lives to be more sensitive, to be available when our friends really need us. My friend Joe Gregory, who I mentioned earlier, I remember when his mom passed away, man. His mom had been battling an illness, and you know, we had all been praying for her, and she, she succumbed to this particular illness. And I remember getting a call from him early one, one morning. I think it was like a Thursday. And he called, and, and when I answered the phone, he's, he's crying on the other end, so I already know what's going on, man. And I did my best to comfort him on the phone and, 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 and pray for him right there on the phone. And as soon as we hung up, I, I didn't say to him on the phone, hey, man, if you need anything, let me know. We hung the phone up. I called April. We shifted our entire plans. We bought plane tickets that day. I was at their, we were at their house within like four hours from the time I hung the phone up. They, they live in Atlanta, Georgia. So we, we bought plane tickets. We're there within like four hours. And I didn't show up, you know, trying to be some hero friend or trying to take pictures so I could post them on my social media to get credit for it. I showed up, and we actually, though we normally would stay at their house, we didn't even try to stay at their house, and we're showing up unannounced here. We bought a hotel room down the, down the street and just wanted him to know, I'm here for whatever you need, man. If you need somebody to cut the grass the next few days, I got you. If you need somebody to go get food for you, if you need somebody to run errands for you, if you need a shoulder to cry on, come on. Friends are there in times of adversity. You don't know who your friend is when you got a pocket full of money and everything's going well. Find yourself in a position where you get sickness hit your body or you get a relationship challenge happen or you lose your job. Then you find out who your real friends are, man. It's in the toughest times when we find out who our friends are. When our daughter had to go through the bone marrow transplant, we decided to do it in Atlanta because Emory University is one of the top places in the country for a bone marrow transplant. And so we were going to get an apartment there. I was prepared to rent a six-month apartment and get it furnished and, and be there for our, our daughter. And as we're there looking around the city for apartments, my, my friend, my, my friend called and said, man, y'all ain't got to get an apartment while you're here? So we just bought this house, got a huge basement. It's all renovated. Y'all stay there for as long as you need. Don't even think about paying any kind of rent while you're here. Don't even worry about buying food. You just tell us what your friends are forged. it's in times of adversity you find out who your friends are now watch this because we commit to being there for our friends we got to choose friends watch this who are not knowingly and willingly placing themselves and us in a constant loop of adversity i can't call everybody friend man i can't because if i call you friend i'm giving you permission if you you need to call me at three o'clock in the morning call me uh, watch, a friend is not bothering me if they call me at 3 a.m. Why? Because I know my friend is not calling me at 3 a.m. for something frivolous. If my friend is calling me at 3 a.m., it's because they actually need me. I can't be friends with you if every Tuesday at 3 a.m. you are in another tr- uh, uh, mess. <laughs> had to watch my word because something else was coming to my head. <laughs> Holy Spirit had to rest my tongue there. I felt that thing. Come on, somebody. If you're always in mess every Tuesday, come on, somebody. 
can we just be honest about Can we just be honest about some? How, how, can we just be honest? How many are there some people that just like drama? There's some people that just like mess. They like being in something. They, they don't even feel like life is right if they don't have something to talk about that's messy. I can't be friends with you, man. If your life is so messy, then I'm always getting pulled into mess. Why? Because a friend has got to be there with you in times of adversity. You can't have adversity happen every three days because you keep making really poor decisions. And now you're pulling me into your bad decisions. And now my life is going up and down, not because of my bad choices, but because I made a decision to be friends with you. Now I have to go back and decide, is this somebody I can actually be friends with going forward? You still there? Here's the fourth thing I I need you to know. Friendships require mutual respect. We're going to be friends. There's got to be a mutual respect. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value other people above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Friendships require mutual respect. That means that your life, your dealings, watch this, have to be just as important as mine. The word respect from the dictionary means to esteem for the worth or excellence of a person. It means to hold in esteem or in honor. And this verse right here, in my mind, really should be the banner for friendship. Luke 6.31 says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Friendship requires mutual respect. Do to others what you would want them to do to or for you. So many long-term friendships, listen to this, disintegrate to a place where friends lose the boundaries of respect. Sometimes you've been friends with somebody so long that we lose the boundaries of respect. And we end up treating a friend in ways that we would never treat somebody that we actually have respect for. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about with, with, with people we call friends. We don't watch. We end up borrowing things that we don't return. That's my friend. I, 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 what, what do you mean? And then, and then I have to get mad because they ask you for it. <laughs> can I get an amen from somebody in here? We can end up, if we don't watch it, we can lose the boundaries of respect in friendships, and we end up offering advice that they didn't ask you for. Now, get me wrong. Friends ought to be able to look out for each other. And if we're really friends, I'm not going to let you walk off of a cliff and not scream to you that, hey, there's a cliff there. But I'm talking about, you know, you're trying to tell me how I should run my relationship and, and, and what, I would, what you would take it. Well, you're by yourself. How are you by yourself telling me how to be in a relationship? <laughs> Offering unsolicited advice, sharing private matters with other people. Making assumptions about what they will do for you when you haven't even asked them yet. I oh, don't worry about it. They'll pick me up from, well, hang on a sec. Did you act? Did you? It's not like George Uber Davis. I mean, how are you just going to assume that when you call it, that's not friendship? How about this one? This one really burns my toes. Showing up at their house unannounced. Yeah. You, know, you felt that in your shine now, didn't you? <laughs> I, I barely got that out of you. <laughs> but we best friends. We can be best friends, but it's still, come on, it's respect. 
It's respect to let somebody know, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I was planning on stopping by. And not just show up at the front door. I mean, you know, April and I, we got one kid left that hasn't been in the house. He's 16. That means we're almost empty nesters. I tell my family and friends, you better not just show up at our house. You never know what you might find. Just ring that doorbell if you want at your own discretion. <laughs> if you didn't understand that, then that wasn't for you that went past you. <laughs> Point I'm making is if it's really a friend, come on, really a friendship, just because you're my best friend doesn't mean I can take advantage of you. If I wouldn't treat a stranger like that, who I don't know and care about, why would I treat my closest friend like that? Come on, this is how marriages fall apart. We start taking each other for granted. You got a wife that actually takes care of you well? Value that, man. Don't take it for granted. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. See, mutual respect means letting each other be who God created them to be. Mutual respect means motivating one another, not manipulating one another. Mutual respect means both parties have an equal voice in the relationship or friendship. Mutual respect means friends have got to give each other space. All right, just because we haven't talked in two days, I mean, I'm mad at you. Come on, if, you're, if we're really friends, come on, we can go for a minute. We may not talk. When we, when we do get together, we pick right back up. Come on, man. Say amen, somebody. I can't be your friend if, if, if I've been out of town for two days and the moment I talk to you, you're like, well, what did I do wrong, man? Tell me what I did wrong. You didn't do nothing wrong until you start asking me what you did wrong. Watch this, watch this. When there's mutual respect, watch this. I don't get jealous because you got more friends than just me. I can't be so possessive that. Rodney, I thought you was my friend. Why was you at Taco Bell with Mike? I thought we were school. What'd I do wrong? Come on, friends don't smother their friends. Yeah, we like to hang out. But every now and then, we need to make sure we have some space, too. Here's the last one for today. Friendship must have transparency. Got to be transparent. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. See, true friendship should allow you to be yourself without concealment. Husbands and wives should not have to hide their faults from each other. Husbands and wives shouldn't have to hide themselves. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, before they sinned, Adam and Eve, his wife, Adam and his wife, they were naked. They were not ashamed. I, I, I believe it literally means they had no clothing on, but I also believe there's a spiritual meaning. That they had nothing to hide from each other. They could be honest. In my, in my relation with my wife, I can share my faults with her. She knows them. You don't know the things that give me fear. She does. You don't know the stuff from my background, my past, that still cause me to feel abandonment. She does. Because she does, she works hard to make sure that she never does things that touches that place of abandonment. I have shared with her my deepest, darkest hurts and fears. She knows the little boy inside. And in 30, this, this October will be 35 years we've been together. July will be 31 years we've been married. Listen to this. 
In all that time, we have never had an argument where she brought up something I shared with her in confidence and used it against me. Never. And vice versa, man. I know the things from her childhood, man. I've never brought up something she told me about her childhood or that I know from her childhood and tried to hurt her with it and stick a knife in her side. You shouldn't have to hide your faults and your weaknesses and your inabilities and your fears from your spouse, but you should also not have to hide it from your friends. If I've got to create a version of me that's not really who I am to be close to you, that's not a real friendship. If I got to have a certain kind of purse or wear certain kind of shoes and be able to take a certain kind of vacation for us to be friends, that's not a friendship because I need to be able to be honest and true to myself. Can I get an amen, somebody? Friendships take on different levels. You will not always feel comfortable sharing all of who you are with everybody you call friend. God puts different friends in your life, man, and and different friendships meet a different need in my life. I'm going to come back and teach this series. I taught it years ago. I'll just tell them April between service. I'm going to come back and teach this. There are different friends in your life. Some friends in your life are like the prophet Nathan in the Bible. Remember Nathan when he came and called David out? David was saying, oh, I can't believe that man did it. He said, you're the one I'm talking about. Just kind of called him out. Sometimes you need Nathan, friend, who's just going to call you out on, on your stuff. But how many know sometimes you need Barnabas? Barnabas was the one that comforted. And when you need comfort, you don't need Nathan showing up. Jesus, watch this, Jesus had different levels of relationship with his different disciples, and he didn't apologize for it. Remember the time when he's headed to Jairus' house, go heal his daughter? He, all 12 of them are going with him. And then they come from Jairus' house, and they say, your daughter is dead, don't even bother him anymore. He turns to Jairus, and he says, do not be afraid, keep on believing. Then he turns around, and he says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. The rest of you stay right there, and the, the three of them, the four of them take off walking. He didn't try to say, but all of y'all are important. I love all of y'all. And y'all are all still special to me. If you're going to be friends with Jesus, you have to recognize you've got to know your own security and your own value. And you can't compare your value to his other friend's value. Because all of us are valuable. We just have a different level of friendship. And it's okay to have that in your life too. The true meaning of hypocrite is play acting. Or literally, the word hypocrite literally means one who wears a mask. And this is my desire, my prayer for you. God wants all of us to get connected with believers that we can trust enough to lose our mask and find our freedom. He wants all of us to get connected with other believers that we can trust enough to lose our mask and find our freedom. That's what we should be looking for in friendship. It should help me get better. It should help me grow. We should deposit in each other. And over time, I should be able to lose my mask and get more and more freedom because I can trust that you actually have my best interest at heart. Come on, put your hands together and thank God. All right, every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. I'm going to ask you to please hold your seat and not leave out to the very end. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. It's the most important thing we've said or done all day long right here. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and come here to the front of the auditorium. In fact, I'm going to pray for you right there at your seat, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. But I need your permission to pray for you. I'm not going to bulldoze my way into your life. 
So I'm asking you a simple question. If you were to breathe your last breath today and die, would you go to heaven or hell? If you can't say with 100% certainty I'd go to heaven, I'm asking you, let me pray for you. See, a lot of times we've had it mixed up. We've, we thought that we got to go and fix ourselves, get ourselves together, stop doing a bunch of stuff so we can come and get saved. God will take you just like you are. No matter how messed up you think you are, he loves you right there where you are. But he asks you to surrender your life to him. And by surrendering your life, it simply means you allow him to become Lord of your life. So if you're in this room today, if you're online, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, giving him permission to step in, be Lord of your life, I want to ask you, can I pray for you? I'm not going to call you to the front, but right there at your seat, I want to pray for you. So I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, be bold and courageous and just shoot your hand up if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ. And I'm going to say do it quickly because the devil's going to try everything he can to talk you out of it. So if there's something in your heart saying, yes, this is my day, then when I get to three, go ahead and raise your hand if you're ready to give your life to Christ. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift your hand up high. Thank you. Thank you. See those hands all over the room. Hands are going up. I see that hand, another hand there, another hand there. One, two, three hands there. Another hand right there. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you, young man in the red. Thank you. See that couple right there. Beautiful. Another hand there. Another hand there. Thank you. See that hand. Beautiful. Another hand right there. Thank you. One, two hands there. Another hand right there. Thank you. Another hand there. Come on. All over the room. Hands are going up. Only hand I'm still waiting on is yours. If something on the inside is telling you that you need to get in on this prayer, go ahead and say yes to God and just shoot your hand up. We're not going to embarrass you. We don't do that here at this church. I only want you to raise your hand so that you in heaven have it on record. That Yes, I surrender my life to you today, God. If you're online, go ahead and raise your hand right there at home. And then our team will put a little poll on the screen that you can respond to. Anybody else? Thank you. Beautiful. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer. Mean this with your heart, and God will meet you right there where you are. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead. And I know he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am right now born again. Amen. Come on, help us celebrate impact.